VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Game Podcast from The Times. Today, Romelu Lukaku, already showing he's worth every penny for Chelsea. Is Jurgen Klopp right? Will letting the game flow end up making it like wrestling? And is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's safety-first approach right for Manchester United? This is the game. Thank you for joining us. I'm Hugh Wisencroft. With me today, the Times, Alison Rudd and Gregor Robertson. Guys, how are you? Absolutely well, excellent, Hugh. Thank you. <laughs> good, good. And Alison, it is great to have you back because the listeners, by the way, I get told this all the time. Anyone that I mention, I do the game to. Everyone loves you, Alison. So I have missed you and I'm happy to have you back. And I'm looking forward to some of your insights a little bit later on as well. We'll be joined by Henry Winter a little bit later too. He'll be talking about pretty much all the games across the weekend, as will we. But let's start with the match at the Emirates because I think it was the big game for the weekend for most fans. Generally speaking, it was a very predictable result. Arsenal nil, Chelsea 2. No Ben White for Arsenal. He had a positive COVID test. We wish him well. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was back from the bench. But the main story was all about Romelu Lukaku, who played for Chelsea for the first time in nine years and 360 days. And it took him just 15 minutes at the Emirates to open the scoring. Alisson, he is the real deal. And he probably puts Chelsea ahead of Man City right now. Right now, absolutely, yes. Um, There was a lot of um, Lukaku on the media. Uh, He did a very eloquent interview that was uh, broadcast on Sky before the game. And he does this thing where he manages to big himself up without seeming big-headed. It's quite a a skill, I think. And he was saying how he's what he's learned in the interim from his first time at Chelsea and now uh, whilst reiterating his love for the club. So it had that feel of uh, destiny and inevitability, which is nice. We do like a narrative. And one of the things he said he'd learned, well, he'd learned to love because he didn't like um, hold up play, but he has learned to like it and be good at it. I certainly built for it. So you'd hope he could learn to love it. And, you know, lo and behold, a few, <laughs> a few minutes after hearing him say rather ominously, if you're Arsenal, oh, I'm, I'm quite good at hold up play now. Uh, he's, he just gives this sort of perfect exposition of, of how to do it. And, and Arsenal clearly didn't listen to the, vi- the video play of him talking because they, they seemed more shocked than they should have been that here was a, a striker in peak form uh, showing how to bully a defence. And he gave... He gave Chelsea that focal point, which they have been missing. It's, you know, Chelsea's goals um, come from all over the place and you, it's, they often look like they don't know who they should be trying to tee up. No point setting up Timo Werner because he'll be offside. So there was there, there was Lukaku um, muscling into a, a centre-back, um, winning the ball because he was always going to win the ball. There's something about an aura of a striker who does that. A bit like Didier Drogba used to do it. I think Drogba used to win balls before he'd got on the pitch because um, opposition defenders were a bit scared of him. Laying off intelligently, his movement was fantastic. He looked like he was having fun significantly. Thomas Tuchel said, I haven't told him to, too much. I've just said, play a natural game. We all know what you can do. So there was a strangely relaxed element to it all, as well as though he's been there for 18 months, not 18 minutes. So, uh, Absolutely, 10 out of 10, second debut, yeah. Gregor, what did you make of the match? Of the match, um, I just thought, 
it was a humbling afternoon for Arsenal. Uh, you know, everything Alisson said about Lukaku is true. He was, you know, just fit in seamlessly. And poor Pablo Mari. I mean, th- there are a few things that are really kind of uh, humbling for a defender too. One is being pinned constantly by a centre forward. Uh, one is being shrugged off like a little boy by a centre forward. And one is your centre forward you're supposed to be marking scoring a goal and all three things happened to him within the space of 10 seconds for Lukaku's opener <laughs> so I felt quite sorry for the guy to be honest um, it was a tough afternoon for them really was and yeah just kind of like underlined uh, you know reaffirmed that the gulf between these these sides is now a chasm it's like Arsenal have got so much work to do yes they were missing Ben White uh, Gabriel, who's another centre half, who's shown some promise. Um, like party, mm, party. Yeah, oh, but, but I'm talking about kind of the, that. That's a kind of triangle, a base that you could say is Arsenal's mm. first first choice defensive kind of block, and they were all missing. So you've got to give them, you know, you've got to highlight that. But nevertheless, um, there's just it's just there's just such a huge gulf between these teams now, and. Chelsea looked like they were in third gear. They were, you know, moving the ball from side to side, open up space. And as as Alison's saying, he's such a, a focal point, Lukaku, now that he can occupy defenders. He's one of the best in the world at it, just occupying two centre halves. They don't, they're terrified. Even Tierney kind of overcovering at times. I think partly that's to do with the fact that Pablo Mari is a centre half, and partly to do with the fact that, that, that Lukaku draws defenders to him. Um, so yeah, a really humbling afternoon for Arsenal, but Chelsea, Chelsea are the real deal. Like we said that last week, I think now they've got Lukaku, they are level as favourites with with City for the league. There's a really good stat in the Times today. Um, in what is their 118th campaign in England's top four tiers, Arsenal have opened a league season with two defeats and no goals for the first time in their history, which is phenomenal. You'd think that would have happened before, but. I mean, there's nothing to there's nothing to cling to, is there? Even in the grand history of the club, they <laughs> they've never done worse. It's very peculiar. And I think what's significant, um, Gregor, is I mean, you mentioned Ben White, but I mean, Ben White was there for the the defeat to Brentford. It's, it's not. I don't. I, I don't think many people would think. Ah, if only the players missing had been there, it would have been any different. That's true. I mean, it's worth noting, and it's fair to note the fact they were not at full strength. Yeah. But there's, there is um, a lack of all the things. There is a lack of all the things that Arteta said he was going to bring to the club when he came. So, so far, the Arteta experiment has failed. You would say the same about Aubameyang. You know, you know Aubameyang was missing. But it's not, it's not the Aubameyang that we've, we've seen you know, at his best for a long time. So even, you know, even his absence, you don't look at that and think, oh... That's a huge blow for Arsenal. I, I certainly didn't. I still look at Arsenal every single week. Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka, two guys who come into the academy, are their only shining lights. They're the only guys who are willing to take responsibility and try things and, and create something. And that's the same. Yeah, Odegaard's to come in. That's a, but they, they also, I also watched this game and thought, not only does Arsenal look mentally fragile, but they look physically weak. They look like they were being, they could be shrugged off by Chelsea. And that's not something that, Really, historically, you would associate with Arsenal. Even you know, all the great Arsenal teams had big, powerful guys patrolling midfield, two solid centre halves. Uh, yeah, there's so there is so much work for Arsenal to do, and so many, so many issues. For me, this is the first time under Mikel Arteta that I really like that I've I, you know it's been falling apart for me in terms of his reputation for a long time. But I still thought he's a coach with ideas. Every time I saw them play, I just thought, look, they're not there yet. You can see he's got a plan. There's a process. I looked at this game against Chelsea and thought, there's no process. There's no plan. He doesn't know what he's doing. Because, and it was embarrassing to watch on Match of the Day to those that saw it highlighted how many times the ball was just passed into Lukaku's feet. And it was like, did you not expect Lukaku to to try and hold the ball up with the ball to his feet at any point in time? I mean, the thing that he does in every single match that he ever plays. What went on in terms of your preparation for this game? Then that's a really good point because you can't even say, ah, it's a one-off and it's not fair that Arsenal were the first team to face 
Chelsea with um, Lukaku in it and, you know, that they'll have highlighted all the problems that teams to come can learn from. They did, Arsenal did the same thing against Brentford. Everybody knew what Brentford were going to do. Every, even people who don't really know football knew that Brentford have a very, very high press and they go for it and they have high energy levels and they were just going to zoom around and, and they have a very effective long throw. And both those things undid Arsenal. And you think, well, if, you know, the man running the corner shop knows it, then why didn't Arteta know it? And then you think, well, presumably he did. He's clearly an intelligent guy. Is he not getting the backup from the, the coaching staff to devise means of of handling what's going to come at them? Are they arrogant? Do they feel they shouldn't be reactive and worrying about the opposition? Really strange times. You know, what what it, it, to happen in successive matches, once against a promoted team and once against the champions of Europe, that, that to me proves there's something wrong in the either application of preparation or the preparation itself. I'd come back to what I said last week, that the, the question mark for me with Arteta is whether he's engaging the players. A lot, a lot of times supporters or people listening to that will think, it shouldn't matter, you shouldn't need a manager to motivate you to, you know, players to want to play for the, you know, they should want to play for the, the badge and the jersey and all that stuff. There's always an element of playing for the guy and, you know, having trust and faith in, in what he's doing. And I, I still think there's question marks about that personally. Because even when you look back to Arteta's first half season, you beat Liverpool, Chelsea and, and City with a solid base. You, look, you thought, you know, you know there was a, they were lacking something going forward, but they were organised. They looked like they had a shape and they had a plan and they were disciplined. And, you know, so that's not even there anymore. It, it's, it is, it's not looking great for them at the moment. I mean, they did have the fourth best defence in the Premier League, I think, last season as well. So something certainly is different at the start of this year. I don't know if it's just players missing or what. Everything about them is so perplexing. I mean, even when you, you know, you do a bit of prep for the start of the season, you think you look back and it's Arsenal, I think, the third, collected the third most points after Christmas or New Year. Uh, and you think, uh, how did that happen? Like, mm. <laughs> how did they manage that? You know, playing, playing the, way, the way they've been playing. There was... And still finishing eighth. Yeah, it's just all very perplexing, Arsenal, and I, th- I, th- I think it's going to be for some time yet, to be honest. Well, it's a, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? Because if you, they're not in Europe, so you have to question who wants to join them. So everyone there knows the, the players joining them are, <laughs> by definition, not that ambitious, so and probably overpriced because you have to pay a premium if you can't offer much. <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, just think, where can this end? I mean, I don't see how they grow. (laughs) Strangely, even though they have brought on a lot of younger players, I actually think for the money they've spent, they probably could have got better young players than what they've actually, they have got. I know that sounds quite harsh, but for me, Martin Erdegaard for 40 million euros is probably too much, given what he did when he was on loan there last year. I know they like him, they like his character, but that is money that could have been spent on either someone in their mid-20s who's probably more proven. You know, you look at Tammy Abraham who went for less to Roma, probably would have been more had it been Arsenal from Chelsea, of course. But I still think that they, you know, given that they've spent more than anyone else in Europe during this window, I would have hoped that they would have collected more talents. And obviously, look, these young guys, they could all turn out to be world beaters, who knows? But, um, you know, you're hoping that the recruitment at Arsenal has jumped several steps if they're going to work out because it hasn't in the last uh, couple of seasons in terms of some of the money that they've spent. And they need to win games now. I've said that last week as well. Like, this is great. They've got so many, you know, I thought, I think Lukonga has got promise. He looks like he could be, he could be a decent signing. Ben White, I'm, I, again, I, I'm sure he'll be a good player for them. Odegaard's a good player, young player. But there's a lot of promise. There's a lot of kind of looking towards the future. The here and now is what will save Arteta's job. And, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know if he's if he thinks he's kind of that safe and he's he's only looking to to building building a kind of bright new future for Arsenal. Then he's he's probably unwise. Yeah, I heard Graham Souness saying these young players are all great, but they, it looks to me like they're not for this manager; they're for the next manager, um, which is sort of ominous around Mikel Arteta's future. Um, one thing that I did want to say on Chelsea and Romelu Lukaku, just to bring it back to him for a second, was what happens if he gets injured. Because I noticed Timo Werner was on the bench and I suddenly thought, I wonder what his future is at Chelsea. And I thought, is he going to be the understudy 
to Romelu Lukaku, well, totally different players. I mean, he cannot do what Lukaku does. And we saw, as you've all mentioned, um, Lukaku is such a focal point in the attack as the way Chelsea might play from here on out. I don't really see where Werner fits in, but it also had me thinking, why would you sell Tammy Abraham, who probably would have been a more similar style, clearly a a golfing quality between him and Lukaku, but someone who is more of a target man than Timo Werner? Because, Gregor, you can answer this for me. What do you do if a player is so key, their style of play is so key, but they're the only player in the squad that can do what they do? What do you do when they're injured? The thing I would say is that Chelsea and their Tuchel have been so flexible, both within games and in terms of the way that they've they've played. And I would also say that Tammy Abraham, before Lukaku came, barely got a look in, so clearly he wasn't really in his plans. Chelsea are so flexible in that they can they can soak up pressure for period, large periods of games, they can dominate the ball, and they can play kind of blistering counter-attacks. Yes, Lukaku offers a, a focal point, but they've still got as you say, Werner, Ziyech, Havertz can play through the middle. I know he didn't kind of convince that much last season on the occasions in which he did that, but they have plenty of options. And I, I just think that Tuchel is such an intelligent coach and Chelsea can, can vary their play in so many ways that I'm not sure that's really going to be a major issue. I think Lukaku will play in all the biggest games he play in the Premier League and he'll mix it up in various cup competitions and Lukaku's injury record is superb as well I think he's going to be there for you know barring anything any 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 major accident he's he's a reliable performer he's always he's always out there he's always ready to play and score goals and he's as I said he's a guarantee and also Chelsea can revert to Jorginho's penalties because that's what <laughs> he was their top scorer last season from and they were all penalties. So I'm sure Lukaku's going to win quite a few as well. Uh, Alison, just finally on this, do you make Chelsea title favourites right now? Yeah, and I think most people do. And I think that's annoying Chelsea fans, actually. Oh, don't jinx it. Um, as it stands. <laughs> as it stands. Yes. Yes, definitely. Why do I feel like this conversation's happened in your household? <laughs> they were already they were already good Chelsea I mean you know they did win the Champions League and uh, I love Tuchel's attitude which is if anyone mentions they're the champions of Europe he just reminds them they finished fourth last season and have a lot of um, improvements to make that's what you want from your manager isn't it exactly Alison referenced his interview at the start before the game and he was saying you know I think Jeff Freeze was asking what you know what what's the how does, how does Lukaku fit into this this team of yours and he was kind of you know took a moment to ponder and he's like I'm not, I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure yet <laughs> I just told him I've given him trust you know you know do you do what you do and then as the weeks go by we'll we'll work on things and you know it'll come together but he's already looked like he's building relationships with players and training and stuff that's pretty refreshing isn't it it's kind of you know he knows he's signed a a top striker he's going to let him go and play for now all rosy at Stamford Bridge at the moment under Thomas Tuchel and they got a big win at the Emirates Stadium against a London rival so they should be feeling happy right now but Manchester United although they went away from home and uh, they weren't beaten if that's um, a positive I think a lot of their fans were disappointed with a one-all draw away at Southampton they did equal the record for the longest unbeaten run away from home in the Premier League, but it didn't really feel like a result to celebrate. Um, One of the big things on this, Gregor, is that some of the United fans felt that the dugout was the difference in that Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer played Fred and Nemanja Matic in holding midfield as their pivot. They played Paul Pogba from the left-hand side after his four assists last week. Um, Jadon Sancho and Rafael Varane, their big signings, we're on the bench, of course. Did he make a mistake, Solskjaer, doing that? The midfield will come to, but I think when you're looking at um, new players coming in like Sancho and Varane, I think there's an element that you've got to trust the manager to know what you see in, in training and you know what kind of fitness levels they have and stuff like that. I'd give it a few weeks yet until until we can say, well, why is he not playing? But the midfield, it's not. this is not a new story, is it? Let's be honest, for Manchester United. And I don't know like, where Donny van der Beek must think he is in this kind of, in the pecking order at this football club. Pogba, was the the most likely kind of creative spark. There was moments where he he sat coolness and under pressure in the box. I think, you know, when they skip past someone to set up uh, Greenwood and, you know, I think Pogba, although he's not, if you asked him, he probably wouldn't want to play from the left for Manchester United. He's, he's proven quite effective there, certainly at the start of the season. Manchester United, they're not, they're not controlling midfield and all the top teams control midfield. 
nowadays. And I don't think they're going to control midfield with, with Fred and Matic. And you've got to give Southampton credit. They, the way they press, there's a good stat in, in James's report that they won the ball 14 times in the final third, which is the most under Hassan Hüttel. Midfield is their biggest biggest weakness, Manchester United. I, I'm not sure that that's even when you look to the bench, as you as you pointed out. I'm, I'm not sure that the answers are there, to be honest. Alison, does that mean that Manchester United can't win the title, or probably won't win the title? Well, we've already established that Chelsea will win the title. You can't have everybody win the title, Hugh. <laughs> you know, you have to remember what was said three minutes earlier and go with that <laughs> for consistency. What I really meant was, do you agree that that is the reason that they won't? Apologies. <laughs> Um, yeah, because it is it is really all that's wrong with them. I think uh, when Cavani's fit, they look exciting. Um, he's a a bit has a bit of the impact of Lukaku, I think, and lists the team as well. Um, no, I don't. Th- I mean, they got lucky with Cavani that he just seemed to Im- improve the players around him and and be a bit of a a good role model for the the young strikers around. I, I don't feel United are settled, and I feel they could settle into something more convincing felt a little bit pre-season-y with them um, and I don't know I don't know exactly how it's all going to fit together I mean Jaden Sancho looked completely anonymous off the bench but I wouldn't judge him on that because it's hard to come off the bench when you're new to a team but I I remain to be convinced just how influential he will be given how long they spent trying to capture him so that's one that could come good or not um, but my main problem I had two problems with this game one was it made me think, why aren't we told the weight of teams like they do in rugby? As I have a feeling United, <laughs> United might be the heaviest team in the Premier League. And I feel that works for them when they're in a bullying mode and works against them when they're faced with a team that are as positive and energetic as Southampton chose to be. I did think there was a shift. I thought, oh, United are now, they, they equalised. And I thought, well, they're now going to bully. They're going to throw their weight around. Although I don't know exactly what the weight was. Um, but then they, they, they did, ended up looking leaden rather than bullying. So that was interesting. And the other thing um, I really want to happen is I just want, um, I, want comment- <laughs> I want commentators to agree amongst themselves. They're going to call him Valentino Livramento because it's a wonderful, wonderful name. And not Valentino. <laughs> what a waste. Valentino Livramento, call him that, call him that, call him the full thing. That's what his mother thought when she named him Valentino. She could see the rhythm of his name. And um, He was excellent, just, wasn't he? He was excellent, but I wanted him called his full title. Gregor, when you played football, how much did the weight of players uh, come, into, uh, <laughs> come into the conversation? Well, when you played against like uh, Akifemwa or... Uh, John Parkin or someone definitely came into the conversation <laughs> in the lower leagues. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, like, I agree that, you know, when you've got Matic kind of plodding around midfield and uh, Fred sort of zipping around and I don't see anything that's going to, that's going to kind of, as I say, control midfield for Manchester United there. And, uh, you know, McTominay came off the bench. I spoke to him, I think he's growing in stature, but that's still Manchester United's biggest weakness. If they bring in Varane, big addition. Again, Martial, still not convincing. Uh, so there are there are issues, but midfield's the biggest one for Manchester United. I think everyone knows that. Hugh, you'll know this. Donny Osmond, what, what's going on there? What did the, the fans... <laughs> Do the fans have a theory? I'm trying to think of a pun for, for Donny and Marie. I can't quite do it so quickly. Um, he's, it, it, yeah, I mean, it boggles the mind. He's, he's made a move. He's a highly rated younger player and it's a bit of money that Manchester United have spent. It just doesn't seem like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer fancies him at all. And I actually think, I, I don't know. I don't know why he's there. Personally, I think they should use him as make weight for a deal for Haaland or a big striker um, that they can get in from somewhere else and Anthony Martial probably as well. Um, but that you just don't see him having a great future there. He must absolutely be hating life right now. You move to Manchester United from the team that you grew up with, at Ajax, which is a great club, of course, and it's meant to be a dream move to the Premier League and it's been a nightmare. So you got to feel for him and maybe by the end of this window, I mean, he should be loaned out somewhere, but at the minimum, at the least, but you know what it's like at the moment. No one wants to pay a decent loan fee and no one wants to pay a decent salary and I imagine he does have one. So, very, very odd. And I don't know what's going on there, but we maybe we'll get some more answers from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Some of the reaction from Manchester United fans was about a lack of um, sort of arrogance 
to go away to Southampton and play with a more attacking side to go and play them off the park. It's almost like, I don't know, maybe that's just a bit sensationalist after winning last week and scoring so many goals. But do you need two holding midfielders away at Southampton? Maybe I'm being disrespectful. Or those Manchester United fans that said that to me, maybe they're being disrespectful. But Ah, but Hugh, if you have two holding midfielders who are not very good, that gives you just one holding midfielder mathematically. <laughs> so they were actually being quite aggressive. Well, that means that they also played with 10 players, so or a, a 10 and a half possibly. So, you know, why would you do that to yourself? Um, it seems odd. Like, And also, the other thing is, Gregor, you do say, like, how are you going to get control over the midfield? And I think, well, if you've got Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba in there, do you need this holding midfielder to be the one that controls the midfield when those two players should probably be enough to have, a, you know, to beat Southampton, certainly? Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't think, that's their role in this team. If Fernandez is the man who's going to apply the, the kind of deadly finishing touch. He's got a bit of craft around the box. He was typically kind of menacing. You know, he nearly scored with a with a header towards the end. And as I say, Pogba, in a slightly more advanced role, he has been good there. It's just you can't point out a kind of partner for him if he was to play in a two. And they're always going to. You're saying why? Why do they play two holding midfielders? He, he always has. He always will. I think Solskjaer. And also, I think he's, again, you have to give some consideration to the opposition who press very high and are their biggest kind of danger and threat when they're, they're, they're pressing you in, in, in your own third. And so if you're a, you're a man light, then you know that makes it even more difficult for you. So as I say, I just don't see the answer in Manchester United's current squad. I think McTominay is going to play clearly far more games than, than Matic. Fred was much improved last season, uh, but still, is that a good enough midfield, a kind of good enough base in midfield to, to control games? Uh, to challenge for the Premier League I said last week no and I'm, I stand by that really we'll see what Manchester United have in store for the rest of the season you know I'm not going to judge any team so far on one or two results but I know a lot of Manchester United fans see it as two points dropped uh, up next I'm going to speak to the chief football writer of the Times Henry Winter we'll also discuss uh, Wrestlemania in the Premier League let's call it that Jurgen Klopp's view on the new rules allowing the game to flow. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate us, leave us a review, and also make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times right now. You can get yourself one month free. You can get more of our award-winning journalism on all of your devices. Remember, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Well, it's time once again on the Game Podcast to say hello to the Times Chief Football Writer, Henry Winter. Henry, how are you? I'm very good, Hugh. How are you? How's your lovely dog? She is well. You may hear her yapping in the background. She's not too happy about the noises outside, but she is well. Uh, my little six-month-old to- toy poodle, although um, I- I'm the-, the sole caretaker today, so I've got my hands full, but what can I say? Um, but let's talk about Manchester United. We were just reflecting on it because of the, the soft centre that's been mentioned in the Times today, Nemanja Matic and Fred. Um some of the fans just unhappy that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer even needs to play two holding midfielders and Paul Pogba on the left, given the riches in his squad. Does he need to be, you know, attack, attack, attack the Manchester United of old and stop being pragmatic, particularly away at St. Mary's? Well, I think we need a little balance here. I mean, you know, they uh, they brushed aside Leeds United uh, the previous weekend. So, so some perspective. I was slightly disappointed and surprised he didn't start Jaden Sancho, who who clearly looks fit. Otherwise, he wouldn't be on the bench. Um, I'm not a huge Martial fan. I know Manchester United fans have a sort of lingering affection for him and the song and all that, and one of the press note. But I just think when you've got those other options up front, go with your, your, your best options. And I like Greenwood through the middle. Um, and I, I also think, you know, you've you only got to look at Varane when he came on the pitch the other day, you know, just to be presented to the fans. I mean, he looked ready for action then. So I think, you know, let's start betting in these players. I mean, I was at the Emirates yesterday and Tuchel didn't think twice 
about starting Romelu Lukaku. So, you know, the, the season doesn't start in a month's time. Manchester United have already dropped two points and they might not have done that if Varane and Sancho had started. Coming back to the sort of Times headline about the soft centre, I think it is the the one issue going forward. I mean, people sometimes talk about the right back. I don't think wan that bad. And I think when you've got Varane in there, wan positioning and whatever will, will improve even more. So I think that, I mean, they didn't start with McTominay and yeah, that he was 100%. And I think he's he's huge in there because of his energy. And then, you know, if you've got Pogba there, you don't want Pogba to be covering back. So I don't have too much of a problem with a, with a double pivot. I have more of a problem with, uh, with Martial starting. Let's move on then to the game of the Emirates, which you, you attended, of course, and wrote eloquently about uh, in the Times. Uh, firstly, on Romelu Lukaku's debut, it was exactly what we expected, I think, but it just shows how good Chelsea could be with him in the side. I mean, so many other teams and coaches are going to watch that game and see how do we stop this supply to Romelu Lukaku because he's he's going to dominate defences this season and the only way to stop him is obviously to kill off the supply because if, if the ball gets to him as he showed that Pablo Mara and Rob Holding are not particularly high class um, Premier League defenders he absolutely bullied them and he'll do it to better defenders than them so teams have got to cut off the supply to him and Arsenal will just open through the middle with the Congo and, and Xhaka was peeling off left to sort of sort out Mount and help out, help out Tierney and Kovacic in particular, I mean, it was very interesting. The first five minutes, even before Kovacic pinged the ball into Lukaku, which led to his goal, went out to James and then back into Lukaku. Jorginho and Kovacic have been just drilling these low balls into Lukaku's feet. He was pinning the centre-half, married, Pablo Mari twice and holding as well. Um, and, you know, T, I mean, we, talk, we just talked about Manchester United and a double pivot. I mean, you're almost going to need three in there to, to stop the ball getting to uh, Lukaku through the middle. And then, of course, Chelsea will just go wide to James or Alonso or Chilwell and, and get the ball in to him as, as they did, as they did as well. So, look, he's a... Look, you've got some of the greatest tactical minds in, in the country, the coaches who will be looking at that. And Mikel Arteta was definitely found wanting. I mean, it's one thing if you set up a team and then it doesn't work. You've got to react. And Arteta didn't react. I think that was the main takeaway for many people. Maybe for the first time, although my Arsenal fans tell me I'm, I'm late to the party on this. I don't think Arsenal looked particularly well coached at all. Um, I think that's the big issue for Mikel Arteta's time in charge. How much do you think he's going to come under pressure in the coming weeks over his job? Two things on Teta, Arteta in, in the very much the the debit in, sorry, in the credit column is first, he's won the FA Cup. Secondly, Arsenal's form since Christmas, latter half of last season was good. Obviously, they were coming from a fairly low base. The third thing is I think everyone can see what he's trying to do in terms of bringing in younger players. Maybe that's because he as a young coach finds it easier to mould younger players because they're not going to answer back like more experienced players. That might be a flaw in him as well. But you just look at that Arsenal squad and it's bloated. It's had different managers, Emery and Wenger before him, add to it. Sporting directors have been adding to it. Agents have been adding to it. It's a, it's a squad that needs surgery. It needs players out, Kolasinac for a start, Bellerin, so many of them, El Nenny. I mean, and the crazy thing is, and Arteta's got to take some responsibility for this as well as Edu, is that a month ago they were trying to sell Granit Xhaka to, to Roma and now he's captain. I mean, that says everything about the sort of the problems with recruitment, the problems with the leadership in the dressing room, the lack of leaders. You give the captaincy to Kieran Tierney. I know he's got one or two injury problems, but he is a potential leader there. Now, also in um, which should really be in Arteta's favour, he does have players to come back. The camp has been hit by a late bout of early season COVID. And it has affected them, certainly in three pretty important positions. Ramsdale will put more pressure on, on Leno. Ramsdale's, Ramsdale hasn't even sort of pulled on his gloves yet for Arsenal. He's getting battered by Arsenal fans. So I think I'm, I'm sort of slightly 50-50 on this in that you've got to give Arteta a chance with this squad, with this team that he's trying to mould. But also the flip side, I completely understand the angry mob, as they're called, you know, you know the press box at uh, Arsenal, uh, the angry mob, as they're called, who sit in front of uh, who sit in front of us, who often spend a lot of the game turning around, sort of say, did you see that, rather than sort of focusing <laughs> on the action. And, 
I have some sympathy with them, but this is this is not simply about Arteta. He's got to respond better in games. I completely agree with that. But this is about the general drift at the club, which has been going on for a year. I know Conky has given him substantial funds, 120, 130 million for this season, which is good. But the leadership problem at Arsenal, this, I'm a stuck record on this one. It's been going on for, for ages under Conker. Talk to Arsenal fans in the terraces. Talk to Arsenal fans in the Diamond Club. Talk to some of the staff privately behind the scenes. And Arsenal, that culture that they had under David Dean, under the Hillwoods, going back in time, that has gone under Cronkier. And it's now affecting the dressing room. Too many people are there in just about money. That wasn't the Arsenal way. So look, to sum up, there's a huge cultural problem at Arsenal, as well as issues with uh, Arteta, as well as recruitment. I know we spoke about Harry Kane previously, but I did want to just mention that the fact that he returned against Wolves off the bench and he was given, you know, a, a pretty rousing response from the Tottenham's Hotspur fans. He's one of our own, et cetera, et cetera. I never expected to see him out there again. Is it now done? Is he just going to have to bite the bullet and he's staying at Tottenham Hotspur? I think we'll get one more bid from Manchester City. I think they'll have looked at Lukaku. They'll have looked, I know they won five at the weekend. And I know Pep would basically like to play a goalkeeper, an overlapping goalkeeper and 10 midfielders. But I think they do know they need a centre forward. That was highlighted, ironically, against Tottenham Hotspur. So if they can get Kane, Kane clearly wants to go. I mean, I I don't know the numbers at the moment, but... If they're going to pay a hundred million for Jack Grealish, I know there was a buyout clause. But Harry Kane, England captain, twenty-eight, probably got two, three more years at his very peak. Guaranteed trophies when he steps into a team of City's quality. I think they have to go to one hundred and fifty. So really, everyone's focusing on Kane, and obviously he hasn't handled it. He's handled it appallingly. Everyone accepts that. Um, everyone knows how Daniel Levy plays these these things, and Daniel Levy. He's got to do what's best for, for Tottenham Hotspur. He has a player um, who is, you know, he's best no player, if not his captain, who is, um, who's got a three years left on his contract. He's coming out of a pandemic. He's got to fight for every uh, penny and pound for, 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 for Tottenham Hotspur. So, you know, he's, 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 he doesn't want to sell to a, an alleged rival, obviously City are a class above, and that's why Kane's going there. But Levy's got every right to fight for as much money as he has, just as Harry Kane has a right to be ambitious to want to go to Manchester City. But this would all, but this should have been sorted out weeks ago. You should have sat the three parties down in the room and said, let's sort this out. What figure are Manchester City prepared to go to and how close is that to Daniel Levy's liking? If it's 140 million in the end, is Levy going to say no for that, that 10 million and maybe have a potentially disaffected player? The one thing that you know, Harry Kane, I know Harry Kane, he is a professional. He will, you know, he hasn't handled this well, but once the decision is made, and if he does stay at Tottenham Hotspur, I think he'll, he'll, he'll knuckle down and he'll have a good season. But clearly, the, the key move this week is for Manchester City and how close they get to 150 million. Yeah, we'll see what happens by the end of the transfer window. It could be a good summer in that regard, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, just before you go, Henry, I know you've got something to say about Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp's wrestling claim. You know, if you, if you, you know, if you want the open game and these fouls, in his opinion, to be allowed and not be fouls, then you should probably be watching wrestling. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer said it as well with Steven's challenge on Bruno Fernandes. I mean, look, we've got to be consistent on this and managers have got to be consistent. This time last season, they were all saying, oh, why is everything being called up? You know, it's encouraging diving, cheap fouls and whatever. It's a physical game. There's, you know, some element of robustness must be allowed. So Mike Riley head of PGMO, sees the light, watches the European Championship, says, right, fair cop. You know, a lot of people have been saying we do need a little bit more of a sort of lighter touch. Let's only bring in VAR for, for clear and obvious. Let's not whistle for every time a player goes over because we know what it's like when the wind gets above 10 miles an hour, the certain players who, who go over. So let's, let's, a man's game is what Solskjaer called it. I mean, it's just a, Let's have the modern game where you don't want dangerous tackles, but you also do want an element of robustness and physicalness and that physicality. And it is a contact sport. And let's have a balance. So I don't think that Klopp and Solskjaer did the game any particular favours with those comments, whether they were doing as Lineker suggested in Klopp's case 
to, to ensure stronger refereeing in a game to come. I, I don't know. But I think the fans enjoy it. And look, let's put things in perspective. In terms of, you know, not injuries, but in terms of things that have happened to people in the last 18 months, a player getting knocked over in a tackle and getting up again 10 seconds later is just, is, is kind of minor. So let's have a little bit of perspective and let's have a little bit more um, intelligence and thought from, look, Klopp's a brilliant manager, Solskjaer's a good manager, but I have to say, I was, a lot of people, understandably, were slightly disappointed with their, with their sort of WrestleMania and uh, rugby comments. So, picking up on the wrestling theme, I think Henry Winter, if he was a wrestler, he'd be, what, Stephen Regal? I think is probably a um, fair enough assessment <laughs> of who he might be. British Bulldog, maybe a bit of that as well. Um, listen, I think when you talk about Liverpool beating Burnley 2-0, it was a, another good performance from Jurgen Klopp's side. And it was interesting that he picked up on the challenges. There wasn't much else to talk about, really. Um, the new directive, if you don't know from the PGMOL, is that referees let the game flow. Some think it's gone too far. Um, Jurgen Klopp was talking about a grey area. We need to go into the middle ground because we're not protecting players enough. And he thought the first directive was to protect players. We've gone too far the other way, in his opinion. Well, Henry says, you know, I think he needs to have a little bit more perspective, but the fans like it. What do you think, Alison? Well, first of all, WrestleMania isn't real. The, the, it's it's choreographed. It's not real sport. And I don't think Klopp's complaint is real either. It's a game of marginal gains. And if you can put doubt in the referees' minds that big, lovely club like Liverpool are not being protected well enough, he might win the odd marginal free kick which might win him an extra point, which might win him the title. It's it's a planned assault to protect and maybe gain an advantage. That's all it is, because there's no real evidence that Liverpool are suffering from this new directive. Um, uh, Tony Cascarino made a really good point in, in the Times that maybe Klopp's thinking about how when his midfielders had to go in and act as centre-halves, they struggled with the physicality of the game and were out-wrestled or out-muscled. And he felt that um, there was like a protection then and he just wants to make sure that his team don't suffer from uh, an onslaught from, from, from clubs who need to use physicality because they don't have the expensive array of, of fine-tuned talent that Liverpool had. I, I find it hard to believe that Klopp is actually very, very cross about this. It's just as I say, a, 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 a means of just tweaking things to give him an edge. Um, and I think it'll die down. And I don't think it's going to become a big talking point of the season at all. He's not the only manager. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was the same. You know, he's another player who criticised, I think it was Jack Stevens' challenge on on Bruno Fernandes, which led to Southampton's goal. Um, uh, Jurgen Klopp, Gregor, made particular reference to his two centre-backs as well. So maybe Alisson and Tony Cascarino have a point. In that he said they were going up and Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood were buffering them in the air. With They had absolutely no defence to it. And that was meant to come from the referee and it didn't. Yeah, I think this is nonsense. That's part of the game. And there's a there's a line as long as the line's not crossed, which I don't think Burnley do. I think there was a, another stat that, in, that Peter Walton said today that Burnley have gone 95 games without a red card. Klopp might say that, that should, have, should have changed. <laughs> but <laughs> look, they, they, they do play on the line. That kind of uh, I've played against. I've played two and a half. I've played against strikers who use their arms and elbows, and it's not enjoyable. But I would actually suggest that Van Dijk and Matip are perfectly capable of handling that kind of competition and probably relish it. It's very. It's different to what what you're used to in the rest of uh, the Premier League games, really, uh, when you face Burnley. And he's talk, talking about protecting players. You know, from what? What? Where are these injuries? Did we see a reckless or a dangerous tackle this weekend? I can't think of one. And most injuries come from overworking players which both of these managers have railed at in the past and I'm fully in support of that but more injuries come from that you know muscle injuries and whatnot than than a tackle or I don't know getting a cut nose or a broken nose <laughs> I don't know a broken nose or something yeah it's part of the game and it's also part of what you know this has been said many times but it's true it's part of what makes English football and the Premier League in particular so popular around the world that kind of bit of blood and thunder this, we're miles away from that Klopp's saying we've gone going back 15 years I wish 
<laughs> a big part of me wishes that that were true. <laughs> it's not true. This is the problem. It's like you can link this to the conversation about VAR because we thought after the first weekend, oh, you know, we've, we've, we've cracked it here. We've got, you know, things are sliding. The VAR, VAR seems to be working better. There were some other, some more questionable decisions this weekend. And the over the Overton window kind of shifts. Once we've gone down a road, it's hard to kind of roll back. I think you look at some of these decisions now and with VAR and with tackles and some fans, they've seen it for so long. They go, well, that was a free kick or that was offside. Why is it not now? And it's going to take some time, I hope, for it to kind of settle down a little bit and everyone find what is a kind of a middle ground. We want to see, we want to see tackles. We want to see combat. It's that simple. We want football as a game of combat as well. It's kind of a physical game. And the Jack Stevens one, it was on the edge. It was could have been. You could give a foul. You could also say it's not a foul, and that he, he kind of came across and got his got his leg in between the Bruno, who who wasn't shielding the ball properly. He was looking for a foul, and he came out with the ball. You could look at that both ways. There are challenges like that in football. So uh, this is this is an absolute non-story, and I agree with Alison. It's like clearly they're they're trying to trying to get in the heads and the in the minds of of, of referees with perhaps with some. Uh, some fixtures, some forthcoming fixtures in mind. Do we need to sort VAR? Now you mentioned it, Gregor Robertson, a little bit more as well. I did, you know, you know, it's a bugbear of mine now. I didn't realise I'd ever become this person, but here I am. You know, not wanting to overturn a decision versus letting the game flow. There doesn't seem to be any correlation, you know, at, at some points that we've seen a big inconsistency already on big decisions for VAR. Some VAR officials just say, I'm not going to interrupt. And others have, and it's, it, it has proven to be very inconsistent, in my opinion. You know, for me, Delhi Alley this weekend, a lot of people say Stonewall penalty. I think, I mean, the, the goalkeeper stops. He hasn't. He doesn't take the player off his feet. It's a dive. He, in fact, that's a modern day dive. Yeah, he initiates the contact with the goalkeeper. Actually, never got as far as reaching him. Um, but we've seen Newcastle, in particular, Steve Bruce, unhappy week one versus week two in terms of penalties that were given for. And against his team, um, you know, Jacob Murphy got his foot to the ball in the first week, but the penalties that were given against Newcastle this weekend, he was pretty unhappy with. I thought Jamal Lascelles definitely was a handball, but you can understand why he's confused. You know, you're just not seeing, in my opinion, consistency from the VARs who don't know. We've said let the game flow. They don't know when they're meant to now interrupt. But I think the reason we're not seeing consistency is because these are more examples of decisions that could go either way. For all, <laughs> we've said this for, for the last two years, really. All VAR has done is kind of added another layer of opportunity to say, you got that wrong. When there are people who would say, no, that was right. So, you know, it, it's got to be just for the glaring decisions, really. And I think, I, I personally am in favour of this. I think if, this is if the there's point. any doubt. The glaring decisions they're not picking up on because they don't want to get involved with the game. They don't want to overturn the referees. What's decision. the glaring decision? They've made it like they've made it like the Euros. They've said at the start the Euros was great. The VAR barely, got, you know, interrupted but no, but the game. What's, what has been a glaring decision? Well, Jacob Murphy for one, glaringly not a penalty in the first week for Newcastle United. He gets his foot on the ball. You didn't even see a replay of it. They just gave the penalty and he scored it. It was like, um, what's the VAR for? That for me was a glaring error. You can say Deli Alley's wasn't because the goalkeeper did come out and ultimately had Deli Alley continued to try and run, he probably would have clattered into the goalkeeper. The fact that his legs mysteriously lost all sense of ability to move <laughs> and, and just became like a bit of a puppet basically and, and dangled into the goalkeeper. Yeah, fair enough. But he probably would have got a penalty there anyway. That maybe not. But for example, Pablo Mari's challenge on Lukaku from behind, in my opinion, wasn't a slide tackle from behind a red card about 20 years ago. Have they changed oh, the rules on that? that nonsense. That was He barely touched him. He slid in on him from behind. It doesn't matter if he barely touched uh, him. It's been out this Lord is, Gregor. This is, this is a problem. It's, football will always have these disagreements. So all we're doing is giving them an opportunity to, to make people disagree and kind of with, with more focus and attention and you know more replays. And yeah, that's all we're doing. I agree with you, the Jacob Murphy. That's the only decision so far that I think was a howler. 
it was a typical week one new system decision as well, wasn't it? That people are grappling with what they are supposed to now be doing. And also we are, oh my God, we are making the same mistake again, which was we are assuming that VAR is somehow magic. It's not, it's just another referee. And for as long as it's just another referee, it will be inconsistent because there are some people better at VAR than others. And you're better than getting involved less frequently. And that's what's happening. So I think that's better. I think you're better off not having it if it's VAR light. There's no, there's no real point. Like because all, as you're saying, the referees on the pitch make decisions. They're only human. VAR is just another official. I don't understand the point in having two people who don't know what they're doing instead of one. I mean, what's the <laughs> point? I don't, I don't actually understand it. You guys can can clarify for me, but I'm not sure there's any point in as I say VAR light. Either it's you know tries its best to create black and white decisions or it doesn't get involved at all. In that case, don't have it. Uh, anyway, I'm going to move on because I'm sure we're going to be talking about that throughout the season as we did I last season. Not. It's depressing. <laughs> it is absolutely it's depressing. But if the managers are, then we are. Um, let's just review, as we are probably going to do throughout the season, what else happened across the weekend before we end the podcast in the other games. Um, Gregor, I'm going to start with you. Aston Villa 2, Newcastle 0. Composed performance. Yeah, and it was all about Danny Ings' kind of acrobatic finish and the the, the spotlight that was shone on uh, Austin McPhee, the set piece coach. Although you know, when you look at it, you think oh, there wasn't that much uh, mystery in that set piece. <laughs> a long throw hurled <laughs> into the box, a flick on, <laughs> and a fine finish. You must give him credit; it was a superb finish. So yes, it was a, a massive uh, step forward for Villa after disappointing. Uh, open day at Watford and Newcastle you know I have some sympathy for Bruce after that conversation you've got to see Callum Wilson missed a sitter at the start and he he won a penalty that was called off for a very marginal looking offside again so you have to I do have some sympathy for for Bruce um, but but yes Villa I think I think as I said before when, when Watkins comes back as well Villa, Villa's front line is looking really dangerous this year, and Danny Ings is Danny Ings is pretty close to a guarantee Premier League goals if he's fit as well, and he's managed to stay fit a lot more since he's going to missed a huge amount of football at Liverpool. He's 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 going to prove to be an excellent signing, I think, for Villa. Allison, Patrick Vieira at Crystal Palace, no goals again against Brentford this time around, rather than Chelsea. Um, any criticisms for them? It's about context, isn't it? I mean, there were different sorts of nils in this game. Um, Brentford's nil was well-organised, um, promising, um, even admirable, I would say. But Palace's nil was um, disappointing and a, a where are the goals going to come from sort of nil. <laughs> so um, you've, you've got to say, given that Palace were at home with their lovely ultras, um, this is a nil-nil that Brentford will feel they won, if, if such a thing is possible. Yeah, I've got to say, David Raya in the goal for Brentford had a very good game as well. Could have been a different story for Palace on another week. Elland Road, full house in the Premier League for the first time in about, what, 17 years. Great game, two-all draw with Everton. Humdinger, wasn't it? Some of the scenes when Leeds equalised through Klitsch um, were brilliant. That kind of cathartic semi-aggressive roar you get at Leeds <laughs> it's like you know people standing on the hoardings really giving it some you thought yes it's good to good to see Leeds you know back in the Premier League and their fans able to enjoy it so it was a cracking game as, as we previewed last week you know two teams kind of traditional old fixture and Rafinha's equaliser was a fine strike I think he's got one of the best left left foots in, in the Premier League fine player and Demari Gray's you know with a really promising start to his Everton career Drifted, a, you know, I saw him break break out at Birmingham uh, many years ago and drifted a bit of Leicester. Still only 25. I think he could prove to be, if he can find a bit of consistency in his, in his play, could prove to be a really good signer for Everton. And of course, Bielsa still not speaking English and still sitting on a bucket. These are things, <laughs> these are things I was looking out for. I missed his interpreter, I've got to say. It made me feel, you know, all warm and fuzzy inside when I saw him back. He's one of the great figures in world football now, believe me. Um, Alisson, Etihad Stadium, City 5, Norwich 0. It could only really go that way. Although Man City have have actually just cemented their reputation as the team all fantasy football addicts ignore because it is impossible. It's impossible to predict 
um, who their lineup will be and who will score the goals. So I don't know anyone who plays fantasy football who picks any City players whatsoever. Um, Jesus was outstanding, but, you know, Jesus is outstanding and he'll be dropped for the game against Arsenal. I mean, that's probably all you can conclude from that game. And sometimes I just think, oh my goodness, Pep just gets bored and he creates um, puzzles for himself. You know, like people who make up their own Sudoku because there's nothing to do on the train. That's, that's what he does with his team. It's 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 strange, and um, I'm really disappointed with Norwich. I do feel their model is they don't sack you if you go down. So you know, what's the point? Um, I don't oh, know. come on! <laughs> is that unfair? Was that unfair, Gregor? Uh, a lot of people this year, this season as well already railing against Norwich for not spending money, and they spent over fifty million quid this time. So. I think like Daniel Fark's a brilliant manager. He's won two promotions. He's had lived through a kind of period of financial strain, and the club was going through a, a a restructuring and invested in youth and an academy. And he still managed to succeed with them. Yes, the first time they looked like they were going to be miles off it. Uh, this time, I think they'll be a bit closer. And they've, they've played Liverpool and Manchester City in the first two games. I think we need to we'll still still to see the the real Norwich. With a high line. What's the point of that? <laughs> <laughs> he did say he was disappointed they conceded the same goal four times. So, there you there know, was some a- seriously like bad defender when Gibson kind of just ran out to close down no one in particular, left a big hole constantly. Jesus, I think, or Mario's running in from the from the from the right wing inside the fullback. Yeah, there was some bad defender. These are individual mistakes, personally, I think, more than a fault in the system. No, and I do need to thank Ben Gibson as well because that allowed uh, someone in my fancy team, Riyad Mahrez, <laughs> to get a goal. So, <laughs> Alison, there you go. Me. Some of us You're some of us do me. pick Manchester City players. And also, this game included the comment of the weekend. You mentioned Gabriel Jesus' performance, but I just thought Pep saying his mum and dad must really love him because he can play striker outside on the wing as well. He can play midfield. I thought that's well, that's where your parents really love you. As you're a, <laughs> a utility player, the more positions you can play, the more love you get from your parents. So Pep, thank you very much. Add that to Aguero's tears. Um, Gregor, Brighton 2, Watford nil. Another fancy football theme. I had Shane Duffy on the bench, 14 points. Can't believe it. Well, Shane Duffy's kind of uh, re-emergence has been... Be magnificent for Brighton this season. What a header! What a header! Yeah, he's a warrior. He had a really, really painful time on loan at Celtic last season. He's a Celtic fan, and he went when they lost the opportunity to to win ten in a row, and he didn't have a good time either. And obviously, sold Ben White. He's come back into the team. You're not sure if he's going to you know play in a back three of Brighton or be able to kind of build play from the back. And he's so far played brilliant, and Brighton fans still love him. So he was absolutely the the main man, along with Basuma, who just constantly. You know, continually impresses. Um, and Watford, it could have been more, I think, for Brighton. Conley had a chance to make it, make it third. They were, you know, architects their own downfall a bit in the way that they tried to build out. And was it cleverly, he was, was snaffled in the edge of the box. Gift for Mopai. So, yeah, Watford had a bright start, but that was a, a pretty dispiriting day for them, I think. Graham Potter did say the most obvious thing ever. He said, um, we've been working on our finishing in front of goal. Yeah, I mean, if you hadn't have been doing that, it would have been negligence, <laughs> gross negligence. Um, but if they do keep scoring, this for me is a top half team. Well, where are they going to keep scoring? That's the thing. I mean, this is it's the same team. That's the thing as well. You're looking, they, they, they've said, Mwepu, 20 million pound midfielder came on from... Uh, RB Salzburg but really it's the same team otherwise and minus Ben White yeah great if they've been working on finish I think they probably did that last season too in training and it didn't really work so um, you know time will tell I think if Tom was here he'd say let's not get carried away (laughs) Alison finally Molyneux Wolves nil Spurs won another 1-0 win for Tottenham Hotspur Mm, yeah, I think Wolves are hoping to set a record for the number of shots without scoring for the whole season. Um, they summoned 25 in this one and they enjoyed more possession. Um, so I think I think the tide will turn, surely. As as bad starts to the season go, I think Wolves is isn't so awful because of because of those stats. Um, although I can't get used to seeing Jimenez playing. It makes me very uncomfortable. I feel like I need to talk to his doctors. I don't get it. I did. I did. I did predict he would never play again. Sadly, I don't think he should be playing. I don't see how you can fracture your skull and then be as effective a centre forward. 
just remind us where you got your I know, yeah, I think PhD we should trust the doctors here, <laughs> Your PhD in... Um... I think we should trust the doctors here, no? No, no, no well, obviously, obviously, they've done some medical stuff. I, I expect he's <laughs> had an MRI scan. <laughs> but it's still, I can't believe I'm the only person who winces when the ball comes anywhere near him. I don't... It's counterintuitive to me. It really is that that um, it can be okay. I'm not. I'm not slagging off the medical department. I don't want to writ. I'm just saying I feel uncomfortable, and I would like some reassurance from the medical department why he's there. And in, in the um, age of questioning the medical experts, the game uh, podcast delivers on that front as well. So, Alison, thank you very much. <laughs> Go ahead. What were you saying? No, I was going to say the other the other um, notable thing from this match was that Delhi Ali seems to be bouncing again and it's always good when Delhi Ali is bouncing we didn't like him when he was sad and misunderstood and sidelined and the best chant of the weekend was probably directed at Harry Kane in that they sang he'll be a mank in the morning which just scans beautifully and is politically astute and um, amusing <laughs> and needling yeah, Harry Kane was back. We'll see how long he lasts in a Tottenham shirt. Deli Ali, we'll see how long this form lasts as well as a number eight. And do you know what the funny thing was, though? The only funny thing about Deli Ali's performance was that unbelievably, after one good game, an England return was mentioned on the telly, which um, we cannot help but do anytime an England player plays well or a player eligible for England plays well. He'll be back in Gareth Southgate's thoughts if he keeps playing like this after a good 90 minutes. So there you go, you know, bit between his teeth, etc., etc. Um, Alison Rudd, Gregor Robertson, thank you for being with me on the Game Podcast this week. We'll be back on Thursday. Plenty to look ahead to. Arsenal fans, I'm sure you want to listen as well. Man City up next. Um, but thank you for listening. As I say, we'll be back with you on Thursday. All you've got to do in the meantime is make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times. Go online, check it out, thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you soon. And a shout out to Valentino Livramento. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.